Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Hey, everyone. This is Megan. Uh, Spanners and I recorded a reaction to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix today, right after the race, before it was announced that Fernando Alonso's 10-second penalty would be reversed. So just wanted to give that clarification before the episode. Fernando ends up finishing third after all that drama. George Russell finishes fourth. And if any of this is confusing to you, please blame the FIA. I know I will be. Now, here's the rest of the pod. Hello, welcome to the Ringer F1 show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Megan Schuster. I will be your host today, and we are here to dig into the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix. Sergio Perez wins from pole finishing five seconds ahead of teammate Max Verstappen, who surged through the grid from 15th to reach the podium, earn a point for fastest lap, and stay in the lead in the Drivers' Championship standings. George Russell takes third after Fernando Alonso gets a very lately added 10-second penalty. Fernando and Lewis Hamilton come in fourth and fifth, and the rest of the top 10 is rounded out by Carlos Sainz, Charles Leclerc, Esteban Ocon, Pierre Gasly, and Kevin Magnussen. This is only the second race of the season, but we have a lot to delve into, and joining me to get into all of it is Spanners Ready. Spanners, first and foremost, do we need to do a redo on the podium celebration? Vamos! A P1 <laughs> for Sergio Perez. Look, I know you guys at the ringer, you understand sport. You understand that people are fans of certain teams and certain players and certain drivers. And as a long-suffering Sergio Perez fan, to get that first win of the season was absolutely fantastic. And... Obviously, a little bit gifted by the drive, drive shaft failure from Max in qualifying. But after the safety car, pace for pace, lap by mm -hmm. lap, Perez had it covered. It was amazing to see. I kept waiting for that to shrink. I think it was about a five-second lead the whole time. It obviously went, dipped a little bit more than that, uh, rose a bit more than that, but was wonderful just to see him not get uh, scared by the moment and yeah. not get nervous about his teammate you know, kind of lurking around behind him. Well, I, I wouldn't say he didn't get nervous because there definitely well, was okay, some true. on edge radio messages. Like they said, okay, uh, we're just going to do this pace, you know, make sure you stick to 32.6 or whatever. And his first thing yep. was, okay, right. But like we're, we're <laughs> like, we're all doing that. That's like a whole, that's like a team thing. That's yeah, not like, just a, like a me Max, thing. Max is getting the same messages that I'm getting and you're not trying to screw me over here at the end. He did, I will say, I felt a little bit bad for him when Max got the fastest lap and they were showing them both 
kind oh, of no. watching the uh, replay of the last lap. And I think Checo realized in the moment that Max had stolen it from him. And that was a little bit brutal. Yeah. And I, I imagine they were telling Perez, you know, don't worry about it, basically, is what mm-hmm. they were saying. They were saying, chill, everything's going to be okay. And I think his race engineer was actually saying to him, you can afford to lose four tenths a lap from here on yes. in. Take it easy. Don't worry about your brake pedal. Four tenths a lap and you're still going to win. And you could just see that Perez didn't quite trust it because he's been hurt by by Red Bull team mm-hmm. orders before. And he, you know, in Barcelona, was it last season where he said, okay, look, I feel like that's unfair, but I will mm-hmm. I'll let Max through even though I think I could have held him off and, and had a bit of a fight. But you could just see, you could hear, there's a suspicion in the F1 fandom that Red Bull will give orders to Sergio Perez or pit him or do some kind of different strategy. And it's also very clear that Sergio Perez agrees with with that fan suspicion because he didn't uh-huh. quite he didn't quite trust it. Uh, but yeah, but but lap for lap, he could have he could match Verstappen enough to eke out that second uh, that second stint, make sure he had the pace to be ahead. I tell you what Perez probably couldn't have done today was focus in on that last lap and beat that absolutely rocket ship time that Verstappen mm-hmm. put in. It was miles ahead of anything that Versta- uh, that Perez would have been capable of doing. And then you also have to ask, could Perez today have gone from P15 to P2? Probably not quite. So there's two outstanding no. drives from those guys today. And I think it's mm-hmm. clear there isn't a clear one to mentality in like what's that Talladega Nights that movie that Will Ferrell movie <laughs> yeah. where the number two guy knows he's number two and, yes, and is willing yes. and is willing on mm-hmm. paper Perez might be number two but you could tell from today he has ambition he has ambition he's not willing to to roll over just yet he did come on the radio after you know that kind of suspicious message from earlier <laughs> in the race and mm. I think toward the end said that, you know, I I don't want to play it safe. Like I want to push. And his engineer was like, okay, yeah, you can push if you want to. Like we have no, you know, car issues on our end that are going to prevent you from doing this. But the Red Bull pace overall today was just ridiculous. When those two got out ahead of Fernando Alonso, they were lapping over a second faster of everyone else on the grid. At times it was around, I want to say like 1.3 seconds, which is just wild. And and that's not compared to the midfield. That's compared to the guy who, yeah. had he not gotten a 10-second penalty, would have finished in third place. Th- this is the next closest driver to them. Yeah. And I just, I don't even know what to make of that. Like, is this a Saudi Arabia-specific thing because the track is so fast? Or is this something that we can expect going forward? Without doubt, the straight-line speed of the Red Bull was was insane. So there may well be an element of the fact that it was a, a straight-line speed issue. Because when you looked at Max Verstappen, passing George Russell on that straight <laughs> once the DRS opened after the safety car it was like mm-hmm. it was like Russell was standing still and it, and it, yes. ma- it made a, it made a mockery of DRS to be honest and mm-hmm. I'm not I'm mm-hmm. not one of these people who says we definitely need to get rid of a DRS I think it could be modified I think you could look at it track to track I would love to see some kind of system where DRS is only effective until you get alongside the car in front something like that sure. it's not perfect but that move made it look ridiculous. And it was more to do, I think, with the fact that, A, they they just do have this straight line speed advantage. But also, there's clearly some advantage in how they deploy DRS as well. I, I'm, not mm-hmm. a, I'm not a technical guy, but it does seem like their, their DRS is like double effective. But, they, but, yeah. they talked about it a bit on the broadcast, and I'm with you. I don't know total specifics, but it seems like it has something to do with the shape of their rear wing. And I don't know if they're getting, you know, it to open wider than other teams, which seems other teams would have copied that by now. But yeah, it does seem like there's definitely something mechanical if, there. If anyone was going to make DRS somehow more advantageous, you, you would put <laughs> it on Red Bull because they they run the regulations like, you know, to the limit. They are guys mm-hmm. that they ask for forgiveness rather than permission. You know, they got, they got yes. pretty much caught with a flexible front wing that was, was uh, you know, if you stood on it, you could see that it flexed more than it was allowed, but they hid it mm-hmm. in a really clever way. So you could get all kind of prefecty about it, but really that is kind of the <laughs> spirit of F1 is to push those regulations to the limit. But I, I think, I, you know, you've said, you know, today we saw Red Bull really pushing because we saw Verstappen wanting to win and we saw Perez really yes. wanting to win. So that's why we got to see that. And it happened a couple of times in 2014 where... Uh, we thought we knew the the pace of the Mercedes, the dominant Mercedes post-hybrid era. And then suddenly, when there was a race on between Rosberg and Hamilton, you go, oh, oh, 
That's the actual, <laughs> oh my goodness, my goodness gracious. Wait a second. <laughs> because no team wants to show their hand too much because yeah. I, I do believe F1 will happily bring the field back together artificially or otherwise, or they'll bring in a regulation change for some nefarious reason, no, you know, for some innocent seeming reason. And then mm-hmm. it just so happens it brings back the the furthest <laughs> team and it, it just so happens it takes away the the biggest toys from their chest. And I think mm. we saw, I don't think it's controversial to say in 2021, those regulations were kind of designed to go, okay, let's move away from Mercedes strengths. Let's bring this back sure. in. They were happy to take away the hydraulic frick system from, from Mercedes as well. I, and I think F1 would do that to Red Bull. So I think Red Bull do need to be careful to kind of not show too much of a massive, like game ruining advantage that turns viewers' attention away. But But mm-hmm. today with them both battling, um, and with a Ferrari-shaped performance hole, because Ferrari were nowhere, it yep. really did look like, whoa, that Red Bull's miles away. And people are going to be scratching their heads and going, there's a cost cap. Everyone's got the same budget. How mm-hmm. how have they done this? We have to say it wasn't a perfect weekend from them. Obviously, Max had his drive shaft issue in Q2, which you know, had him starting from 15th on the grid. Seemed like that may have popped up again toward the end for him. At least he, you know, very dramatically came on the radio and said he multiple times was worried about a certain noise that was emerging from the car on high speed straights. Um, And you could almost kind of hear that too when he came on the radio once or twice. Red Bull didn't seem particularly concerned with it, even though Max multiple times said, well, I'm worried about this. So you guys should be worried about this. So I don't don't know whether that's going to be a thing going forward. Obviously, he set the the fastest lap on the last lap, despite all of those radio messages. But something to monitor going forward if any of this becomes an issue. So Perez had a new gearbox without penalty for this race. Obviously, they they did have um, some complaints about a dodgy downshifts from Verstappen in the Bahrain Grand Prix as well. So if mm-hmm. you want to look for an Achilles heel, yes, you can go, oh, there is this kind of underlying gearbox transmission issue, and that can give you some hope for a bit of a, a closer season. So it would be interesting to know how much of an issue that was, because Perez was complaining about yes. a long brake pedal as well. In a different mm-hmm. universe, as we saw last season, both cars could just chug to a halt and then Fernando and Alonso uh, wins on paper but then gets his penalty and suddenly we're looking at a, a double Mercedes podium and then the season looks really different and, and that's what was happening last season with Ferrari. Red Bull were having mm-hmm. those reliability issues to start with and everyone, oh, poof, Ferrari are going to run away with it. So in an alternate yep. universe, that's the conversation we're having but ultimately they're great engineers at Red Bull. And I think they'll get on top of this. They'll find the issue out and it won't cause them problems post-Barcelona. Let's get into Mercedes a bit. George, of course, finishes quote-unquote on the podium, even though he didn't get a chance to celebrate. I personally would like for there to be a contingency plan in place with some extra champagne bottles in case this happens going forward, because that's a real bummer to miss out on something like this. And especially in a car where... It did well this weekend, but who knows how consistently it's going to be up there with, uh, you know, Fernando Alonso driving as well as he is with the Red Bulls being so far out in front. I want us to talk a little bit about Lewis, though. Another uh, big weekend of negativity from him and, and sort of understandably so. He said that he's um, not I think he said he wasn't connected to this car, that he has struggled in driving it, qualified only in eighth, managed to finish in fifth, had, you know, Pretty solid in-race pace, especially when he got on the yeah. medium tires. Is he just so used to winning at this point then that anything less than competing is feels like a loss? Or is or is there do you think there's something more going on with what, him in this car? What's the famous phrase? He wears his heart on his mouth. You know, that, <laughs> no, the phrase is wears his heart on his sleeve. But no, Lewis Hamilton, he wears <laughs> his heart on his mouth. And if he's feeling down, if he I think he even said, I'm miserable. I'm miserable and I don't feel connected to the car. Having watched Lewis Hamilton since 2007, this is not uh, an unknown. This is not unlike Lewis Hamilton to to be down on himself and just be completely honest about how he's feeling. And the weekend didn't go well. And I tell you what, watching the practice sessions as well. Um, well, let's set this up a bit. You know, Mercedes were saying, "Yes, we've 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 gone in the wrong direction. Our data told mm-hmm. us we were going down the right path. We now understand that that data that we'd based all of this." on was wrong and we're not going to doggedly go down that path so already 
they've made some tweaks where they were. And I think we discussed after the Bahrain Grand Prix that they didn't even maximize the wrong direction that they were in last time. Right. Like, yeah, Lewis was like complaining, like we took way too much uh, downforce out of it. They, they went with a, a bit of an understeery package and it, and it hurt them through the race. Now it looks like today, it looked like they had got a better overall package. And Hamilton said that he, he was running a, a different setup to George Russell. So they had okay. a bit of a choice. And, and then Hamilton, he ran the, uh, the kind of coin flip, the uh, maverick, oh, I'll go against the rest of the pack and maybe it'll work out. And I didn't mm-hmm. like that because that feels like a bit of a midfield driver team tactic when you say right most people are going to either go uh, soft hard or medium hard here we're going to roll the dice go on the mediums know we're going to suffer in the first stint and then we're going to rely on there being no safety cars to mess that tactic up at a track where you're pretty much guaranteed a safety car and it just it felt like a, a gambler's tactic where if it had gone right they would have looked like geniuses but really he was on the back foot tactically the whole race. He was having to just, you know, hold off signs. Verstappen just breezed past him. He was really, he was mm-hmm. fighting with the Alpines, all on this promise that you're going to have a really long first stint. And then in the second part of the race, you're going to blast past everyone on the mediums. And I, I really, from the beginning, it just looked like a, a dubious tactic. And the fact that he ended up on the fastest tyre after that safety car was really more luck than judgment, I think. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think you're right, especially when it comes to this is a race where you can almost hang your hat on the fact of having a safety car. And he hated the hard tire from the beginning, struggled with it throughout the early stint. And by the time it got to the mediums, it it almost didn't seem to matter. Like after the safety car restart, he definitely was a threat. And, you know, Ferrari was on their radio to to Charles and to Carlos to basically say, watch out for this guy because he's coming on the better tire. And he caught up to George for a minute and seemed like they might trade places. And then George <laughs> must have found some extra pace or, you know, was just purely stubborn and didn't want to give up a position to his teammate, Such which I can understand. One. Such an interesting That is like we play like we love playing armchair psychologist here. Yeah. Mm-hmm, armchair mm-hmm. sports psychologist. But I will just say, Lewis, whenever he has that tactic of you've got the harder tire to go longer and you're meant to benefit from going longer, he is every single time without fail saying this tire's garbage because he doesn't want the more durable, less grippy tire. So every That's single true. time he's in that position, you know, he'll be go, go on the radio going, oh, I'm 0.8 seconds slower than all these guys. And it, yes, of course, because, because you've chosen the, the slower tire. But so, so just for context, he is never happy with that tactic. And again, another reason why I was so surprised. Uh, but then, yeah, he catches up to George Russell. And I think it's as simple as George Russell was also tire saving hoping that he yes. could hold stuff back and then go and charge at Fernando Alonso later. And then it was a massive inconvenience that Lewis Hamilton is behind him, pushing on those tyres. So whilst a lot of people were saying, well, why not just swap those guys? Lewis is clearly faster at the moment. You know, let's go. F- from Russell's point of view, there's then no guarantee you're going to swap back. And he knows full well that he can, he can go faster. He can pull a gap. But what he's doing is he's ruining his own chances of then being able to have a late push by having by having saved his tyres. So so really, yeah, the best thing for Russell, even though he ended up getting the podium in the end, the best thing for Russell was would have been for Lewis to not be there. Um, but he, he must have known, he must have got a message that Fernando Alonso had served that penalty. Or he must have, he must have gleaned it from the deltas that, oh, Alonso took a little bit longer than you'd expect to get in and out of the pits under the safety car. So I'm going to call it that when he went, oh no, no, we need to hang on because I think Alonso has got a penalty to take. (laughs) I am going to, in this game of lie or not lie, I'm saying (laughs) that is a lie and he knew it. He did have a really like almost over the top reaction when (laughs) he heard that Fernando had already... (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I have never heard you react to anything on the radio with this much, you know, yeah, fervor, yeah, yeah. it was uh, a li- maybe a little bit of overacting potentially. But but look, look, from his point of view, why? If it's the worst case scenario to let Lewis Hamilton buy and then have the team go, mm-hmm. oh well, there's no need to to push now, or, or let's just let's just get this home and we'll talk about it later. You don't want to do that. You want to be the guy that ended up on the podium with your seven-time world champion teammate back in seventh. So I think completely fair play. To uh, to Russell playing those games, 
we're not expecting him to be a lapdog to Lewis Hamilton, are we? No, no he's fighting not. for his future, and and he's putting the team in a very tough position because he's not being outwardly belligerent, but he is being subtly belligerent, and he's challenging Mercedes to go well, pff, do something about it. At the moment, I'm <laughs> I I was the lead point scorer last season. I've I've been ahead. You know, I was ahead in this race. All right, you you do the thing. You make the call. You look silly telling me to let Lewis by. Do we need to talk at all about these uh, rumors that Lewis seemed to put to rest this past <laughs> week about his potential interest in uh, joining Ferrari over Mercedes? I, uh, I I don't put a whole lot of stock into it, mainly because Ferrari as a team right now doesn't seem to have much more to offer him than Mercedes does. And with such a long-standing relationship where he is, I I don't see him making a switch. And, you know, he basically said that that's not going to happen. But I, I was curious about the timing of all of this, I'll say. So Lewis Hamilton is in that point of his career now. It would be pointless to go and, and start again. You know, it's not like he'd been rolling around the midfield doing the journeyman thing like Alonso has had has done and he's just kept rolling the dice and rolling the dice. Was Alpine going to be successful? No. You know, the Renault manufacturer, no. Uh, McLaren, can they have their past glory with a new engine manufacturer? Right. Honda, yeah, that's a good roll of the dice. No, it didn't work out. Lewis is not in that position. But how many times do you have these great champions like Hamilton, Alonso, uh, we can start adding Verstappen to it, uh, Vettel, <laughs> Schumacher. How often do they really get to end on their own terms? You know, Schumacher had the Mercedes period at that the back end. Uh, Vettel kind of really ruined his legacy over the last eight years when it comes yeah. to being top, top draw, fight night, you know, top of the card billing, uh, boxing analogy. Casey missed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got uh, So I for Hamilton, no, I don't think there's another roll the dice move at Ferrari. God, why would you do that to yourself? Have a little chat with Leclerc. Sit, sit and have a Chardonnay on a yacht and just like <laughs> feel the emotions dripping out of Charles Leclerc at the moment. And uh, I don't think you'd want to make that move. I think uh, with Hamilton, this is it now. Um, either Mercedes deliver him the eighth title in the next season or two, uh, or or he's gone. I don't, I don't, I, I don't make the sense that there's going to be yet another. Hamilton reinvention because remember like even at McLaren he was still Mercedes family so it's too it's too Mm -hmm. big a leap and as a a Hamilton fan and someone who has treated Ferrari as a respectable and formidable enemy I just want to say from a Hamfosi point of view it would be absolutely (laughs) disgusting to see Lewis Hamilton (laughs) in red I would hate it I would become a Red Bull supporter just to make sure that that Frankenstein abomination didn't win a title (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this would be your Joker origin story. Yeah. I, I honestly, <laughs> yes. I would love to see it. Oh, just so you know, angry. from my yeah. own personal perspective. But yeah, yeah, I, I think I would feel a little bit differently about it if Ferrari was up here with you mm. know mm. A, a really super competitive car that was taking it to Red Bull this season. Maybe I would be willing to put more stock into this, but doesn't really feel like the and, time. Um, and and yeah, inevit- inevitably, that is going to lead on to the Ferrari disappointment, isn't it? This season, I guess. This, this I, week, yeah. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. Yes, good. Rough, rough week for Ferrari. I, I need to tell you, I started to follow some Ferrari fan accounts on Twitter just because, as we've established on this program, I love <sighs> mess. Isn't there and enough one of them- sadness in the world, Megan? Why are you doing that? <laughs> One of them posted the moodiest tweet today. It's at Fanatics Ferrari, and they just posted this picture of a very depressed-looking Charles Leclerc. The caption was, what if 2022 was our one chance to win the title and we threw it away? That's that's where Ferrari fans are right now. (laughs) But I I would make them feel better by saying 2022 wasn't ever really on. It was a bit of an illusion. (laughs) I don't know if that helps. Does that help Tafosi? Does that help Helps make, or make hurts. you feel better? But no, they've um, they've they've really looked to have taken a step back, and it's it would be okay okay in a way if it was some engine failure or you know a yeah. tire blew up or they they came together racing. It would be better if it was like Vettel and Leclerc in 2019 at Brazil, and they just on a straight decided to take each other out. This is the worst case scenario, which is that on pace they were just unable to to do anything, and and, and their strategy team actually did okay. Uh, they they managed to overcut Stroll. And they managed to yep. put themselves in a good position. The clerk was making his way up the field. And, uh, and, and then, yes, they were a little bit unlucky to get jumped mm-hmm. by Hamilton on the softer tires. But they were saying to Science, don't worry, we've got a plan. We're, we're going to get him. 
And and it just didn't materialize. And I think it's there a, was it's, no plan. And it's a real sign, though, of yeah, Mercedes did take a step forward, and yeah, Ferrari did take a step back. And this feels a bit more a bit more normal to me. And obviously, it's a shame because it it leaves Red Bull up at the front unchallenged. But I think I've said this over and over: Ferrari flatter to deceive, and I would never take any stock in a strong Ferrari start to the season or a strong testing performance. I think this might be this might be them just settling into a nice cozy third or fourth. Oh, that's pessimistic, isn't it? Emails to <laughs> Megan at the Ringer. Yeah, send all your complaints to me, please. <laughs> and it was also concerning that this was the pace when I believe both Charles and Carlos had new power units this weekend, oh, so they're yeah. already on their mm. second power unit. Charles obviously got a ten-second grid penalty for needing a new um, control electronics power unit component, which is his third of the season, and you're only allowed two before you take a penalty. So this is what they're getting out of, um, you know, refreshed car parts that, like, I don't know if anyone else or very few people on the grid have needed to change over at this point. You're not expected to need to change these over. And and I just, I maybe they'll find some pace as they, you know, bring new upgrades in throughout. I want to say, I want to say they said on the broadcast, that Ferrari is expecting some new upgrades, maybe seven or eight races in. But <laughs> even if what? that's the case, like all mm. these other cars will be yeah. upgrading too. And I just don't know where they find the pace. Two alarming things, both on the signs end of the scale here, but mm. alarming to see Carlos Sainz, who is probably a better driver than Lance Stroll. Don't know if that's controversial or not, but Lance Stroll. I would agree. Lance Stroll pulled off the overtake of the day which was round the outside of that long hairpin, around the outside of Carlos Sainz. And, and it just you have to have such a, a traction performance delta to be able to pull that off. And it just it looked amazing. And it just shows you, wow, that Aston Martin was just better than mm-hmm. that Ferrari today. And then, yes, Hamilton did have the softs. But the fact that Hamilton was able to yield the inside to Sainz into turn one, two, I think, and, and then just be able to be patient, take a much deeper line into turn one, and then just outdrag him easily down onto the second straight. That says there's something, you know, fundamental about the drivability of of that car. Carlos Sainz got kind of he he got mugged by Stroll and Hamilton there, and uh, yeah, and you wouldn't have predicted that in Bahrain if I said that to you that that was going to happen in Saudi. So it, it looks worrying overall, and it would be better, like I said, it would be better if there was some kind of fire or there was just spanners being thrown out of the gearbox. That would be better than what happened today because today makes it look like that was kind of where they're at. Yes, I I want to see what they're able to pull off across the rest of this season. I'm, I'm trying to be understanding because you have a new team principal, you have some new technical folks coming in trying to make adjustments, trying to figure out this car that, you know, at least Fred Vasseur wasn't part of creating. I, I hope that they find something and make this at least a little bit more interesting across the back half of the season and maybe going into 2024. But I agree with you. It's it's sad. Well, from an interesting point of view, we've got Perez on the front foot at the moment. So he's just one point behind Verstappen. So at the moment, mm-hmm. you kind of can't, can't kind of go, well, that, that dynamic is over because you never know what's going on in the politics of a team. Josh Verstappen did not look happy. He was stood no. there at the front whilst Perez was celebrating with everyone and Perez is hugging everyone and Verstappen just, Josh Verstappen that is, just stands there like with his arms crossed, doesn't mm-hmm. acknowledge him and Perez just skips straight past. So there's definitely like an uneasy dynamic as yep. we, we said with, you know, Perez's un, uh, unsure radio messages. But what if there's a drive shaft problem in Australia? What if Perez goes into, into that long break 24, 25 points ahead? So, so we can, for now, we can park that as not being quite over and unresolved, that thing. And, and then mm-hmm. it looks like we've got a genuine proper scrap that we can just enjoy between the Aston Martins, Mercedes and Ferrari. So from that point of view, as viewers, we've got a lot, uh, a lot to look forward to. And I... And I I, I wonder how long Aston Martin can cling on to this because today looked mm-hmm. better than Bahrain. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fernando seemed to be racing for third all on his own, you know, was at the end considerably far back from the Red Bulls, but managed to keep adding pace ahead of George Russell throughout the throughout the day. I would have loved to see what we could have gotten from Lance Stroll across a full race, but he did not finish because of, I believe it was a brakes issue. Oh, was it? But I, I want to see what they're both able to do on track together and what, because, you know, Fernando seems like he's going to be finishing, you know, in third, maybe around three, four, hopefully from, from my perspective throughout the rest of the <laughs> season. But I, I want to see what Stroll is able to do as a, you know, a counterpart to that as well. Interesting. So where where are they relatively? So you ha- you kind of almost have to disregard Ferrari because they put themselves down to like fourth fastest team this week, which I don't think anyone predicted. So, okay, Mm -hmm. so it wasn't a case of like Aston Martin leapfrogging Ferrari, but the gap between Aston Martin and Mercedes definitely visibly closed up. But you can really see as well, uh, uh, Alonso's had less to do today, yet he got a great start, you know, yes, Mm -hmm. against one of the the poorest lap one drivers in the field. But he got a good start, he got ahead. When Perez overtook and was tyre saving, Alonso was hanging on and he hung on to Verstappen as well, played a very smart race. But, okay, part of finishing and part of performance is following all the rules. And to be, what, how old is he? He's 41. He's done a million Grand Prix and he just, he just sits in, you know, in his box way, it wasn't even close. It was way over to the left. Yep. So he's fully Mm -hmm. out of his pit box. That is like a rookie error. And then the team, much like Ocon last season, they messed up his uh, his pit stop. They put the jack on too early, and and it seems like they they misunderstood the rules in that area. So they thought that mm-hmm. putting it on the jacks didn't constitute working on the car. I think to me that feels obvious that that is part of working on the car. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all part of performance, getting all those things right as a team. So so today, I think you know Mercedes did sort of beat them on merit overall. Although you would say. Well, it's desperately unlucky. If you had to rerun that race tomorrow, you'd probably still choose to be in the Aston Martin instead of the Mercedes. But I wonder how much longer we'll be able to say that. I, I don't think it's much longer. Oh, and of all the people who said to me, oh, you said Mercedes would be second. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said it was a whole season bet, not just <laughs> at the first race. Who's second in the championship table, Meg? Who's second? <laughs> Mercedes AMG Patronus. Now, I don't need groveling apologies from the people who <laughs> sent me correspondence. Uh, flowers. Send uh, flowers to Spanners uh, at the Ringer HQ, and I'll accept them mm-hmm. gratefully. That's that's very big of you, Spanners. I, I wanted to talk about the penalty just really, really quickly, because this is the second week in a row that we've gotten this penalty. Also, second week in a row that we've gotten the penalty of misalignment um, at the start, but especially with the five second, you're not able to work on the car thing. Is there any sort of reason why it's been so prevalent over the first couple of weeks? Is there any world in which the FIA maybe changes the enforcement of this to make things a little bit more Mm -hmm. clear? It just seemed like a kind of weird reflection that this happened in both races. New race control race director, whose name has escaped me, but it is, um, you know, it's basically under new management as far as race control goes. So, and I believe it's only one race control person for the whole, for the whole of the season. However, so. any new kind of boss or any new office manager that comes in will have their own little bugbears. Like, please, 
don't, you know, I'm really, you know, keen on people not putting their butts on the photocopier and wasting paper. And then we've got photos <laughs> of everyone's butts everywhere. And you go, well, hang on a minute. The old boss, never mind having lots of photocopied butts everywhere. Oh, yeah. But and then he has to like put his foot down. Right. You two. Mm-hmm. You, you two are now suspended for a week. What? We've been doing mm. this for, for years. Yeah, but it's a, it's a different boss. It's different rules. And they're just going to have to catch up quickly because who knows how often these infringements have been happening. But race controls had other bugbears like track limits or ways of overtaking. So yeah, it's just a new, it's a new, it's a new management. It's a new boss. And, and you get to learn referees. If you're in any kind of league, you know, that's, oh, true. that's Derek Turnipson. He is really hard on double-footed challenges. So today we won't do double-footed <laughs> challenges. And that's, that's, that's sport really, isn't it? That is true. One other aspect of that, though, that I found strange was how long it took them to, A, uncover the penalty and then to deploy it, I guess, because um, I, I believe it happened within the first 40 percent of the race. So, I mean, I think they had like over half of the race where this was not even being floated around. And then it only seemed to be in the last couple of laps where you know, it, it was related to George Russell. Oh, we might need to get within five seconds of Fernando. We don't know what's going on, but they seem to be looking at something. And I know in the past, F1 has had a sort of like, I think it was a 25 minute window in mm. which they were allowed to deliver penalties. Otherwise, it was, you know, they were kind of null and void. I saw this floating around on Twitter that happened in the 1998 British Grand Prix with Michael Schumacher that I think they delivered one outside of 25 minutes and he was um, didn't have to serve that penalty. So, did Schumacher ever have to serve a penalty? I'm not sure <laughs> any sanctions were ever. Another imposed. good question. Another good question. Here's my anti Ferrari but... bias coming through, but I'll. I'll... <laughs> no, no, that was Benetton if it was 1998. Okay, sorry. It, it feels like something like that would be good because we made it through over half of a race where this wasn't an issue. And then all of a sudden it came out of nowhere. And it just kind of makes me wonder how far out this extends. Like, mm. you know, if, if, somebody sees this on video at home an hour after the race is over, would they retroactively apply something? Or is this something that there is a window that we're just not aware of? I, I don't know. I just was strange to me to see it happen like that. It's a, it's a dropped ball, isn't it? I mean, it, the, the timing of it and whether it was in time for the podium or tomorrow morning, it's still the same. So what we're really mm-hmm. complaining about is we lost out on George Russell getting his his podium because his team didn't do an illegal uh, serving of a penalty right. and he did right. go in his pit box correctly. So he did enough to get that podium. That was his podium. It's a big deal in Formula One. It's one of the most mm-hmm. exciting parts. Even when my son isn't watching the Grand Prix, he'll go, Dad, get, shout me for the podium. <laughs> and he'll just rush him oh. just to watch. You yeah. know, it's really exciting. It's a great prize uh, for, for coming third. So he got robbed of that. I don't think, you know, we're not going to lose any sleep over it, but yeah, surely it could have been decided quicker. You would hope so. I I have McLaren here in my notes and really all I have is the word woof. (laughs) I like, what a, what a bad weekend. There's, it seemed like there was a bright spot in qualifying with Oscar Piastri earning P9 and, you know, Mm. starting P8 on the grid with uh, Charles's penalty and then, uh, you know, race starts. He has a little bit of a collision with Pierre Gasly, some front wing damage. Not really his fault, just kind of a weird racing incident. But couldn't do much of anything after that. Really just a bad weekend for mm. Lando, hitting a barrier in Q1, getting knocked out of qualifying. Piastri finishes 15th. Lando finishes 17th. Just, just rough. I mean, it, it has to be encouraging for them to see some sort of pace that Piastri was able to get in qualifying, but the weekend overall, just another really bad one for if, them. If you take away the top 14 runners, it was a classic Williams <laughs> versus McLaren fight to the fight to the line. Yeah, it's a bit sad seeing McLaren scrapping down there. So there's a, a few things here. Yeah, I don't think it was Piastri's fault. Uh, Gasly really mm-hmm. squeezed him into the yes. into the exit of turn turn two, I think, so near the beginning of, of the lap. Although, if you look at the onboard, I, I love how you say, oh, it's just a bit of a racing incident. That's not, I don't do the no blame culture thing that mm, Mercedes tried okay. to do. No, I've, I come from a very toxic like relationship in, in our house. <laughs> if we were escaping from a fire, me and my wife would have to stop and establish whose fault the fire was 
before <laughs> before we escaped. So now I I really enjoy trying to find find uh, blame. But yes, yeah, okay. so, so okay. Gasly definitely was squeezing Piastri and probably would have felt that he was he had his nose ahead. So maybe that mm-hmm. was enough to kind of own the corner and Pi- mm-hmm. Piastri should have should have dipped out. But I think under the current rules and how it's stewarded, Piastri had a right to enough racing room. But actually. Piastri didn't go all the way to the wall. It, it did look he like didn't. And, and I've yeah, I've got to watch this this review, the replay. I, I think he actually held the right hand steering lock to try and get kind of a better line because the wall juts in. So he was mm-hmm. aiming to to get to where it jutted in rather than like going all the way out and then seeing if Gasly would give him more room once it got to the the jutting in point. Definitely worth going and watching that on board. So they both definitely could have done more to avoid that incident. But at the end of the day, a car existed in the space that Gasly used for his exit. And I, mm-hmm. I would like to see that kind of thing kind of at least noted. Um, I don't, wouldn't like that sort of dismissed as a racing incident because otherwise you're just encouraging people to, to get that, that close and to, and to start having carbon fiber flying around a track like Saudi Arabia, like a track like Jeddah where I'm holding my breath and I feel like yeah. we're lucky yeah. to get safely through. Yeah, let's just police it a little bit more on those kind of um, street tracks. And then Norris lost his wing as well. Yeah, lots of front wing issues for them. Um, it, it was just a bummer to see them um, getting radio messages, or at least Lando getting a radio message to not hold Oscar Piastri up when they were fighting for 16. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. 16. <laughs> I was uh, like, yikes. And, and this is the this thing. Is, uh... you, know, you want to be dominating your teammate. You don't want a message like that. But I believe they were mm-hmm. on s- slightly different strategies by that point as well and Piastri was obviously so. a bit further up the up the road and they were on different tires um but like nothing happened to Norris I don't think in qualifying I think he literally just he, he just yep. he, he just didn't get his lap in or he didn't get just, a good lap in um so that, that well, he bumped into the barrier oh Q1, well there you go well there you go so but it wasn't yeah. you know anyone else's fault so that was a Q3 car and he was starting at the back of the grid you can't really then complain when the strategy shakes out and yeah, mm-hmm. don't hold up your teammate. Yeah, and you're right, that hurts for 15th. Mm. Brutal, really mm. brutal. At least we got to see Piastri a bit though. We got to see him at least yeah. qualify well and uh, and be there kind of fighting people. And it's a shame that he's kind of, he's lost his front wing early on, but that's an F1 education, isn't it? So something in his his primordial brain now will go, I don't think Gasly's <laughs> going to leave me room into barriers. <laughs> All part of the fun. Mm-hmm. Speaking of fun, it was a fun day around the rest of the midfield. Both Alpines finished in the points. Mm. Kevin Magnussen finished 10th. Nico Hulkenberg finished 12th. Nice day for Yuki Sonoda, moving up from, I believe, 16th to 11th. Did anyone in that group like particularly impress you? Any teams or drivers? Well, the safety car kind of put Sonoda into 10th, and that, that felt like a little bit of a, of a, of a gift as far as I was looking at it. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it was good to see ha- uh, Haas looking a little bit more racy and and that is yep. a good reward for Magnussen to get up there to 10th place but there was a lot of good running in the midfield and I'm glad the TV yes. direction caught a lot of that that racing even even like you can say oh it's the battle for 15th with Williams and McLaren but there was there was good battles down there I think you know a De Vries looked a little bit out of sorts and perhaps a little mm-hmm. bit disappointing um so that's something to look out for in future races but yeah Kevin Magnussen in that has a point that is that's a genuine win for those guys and yeah as the field settles I feel like we're going to see and this is based on no real evidence sorry I feel like we're going to see like (laughs) a bit of regression to the mean so like Williams maybe fall down the pack a little bit um, Mm. and then we kind of maybe we can see the McLarens and the Haases kind of be fighting for the points a little bit more because you feel like has has almost had the ingredients at various points just it's never quite it's never quite clicked and I would love to see a season where Magnussen, and I think P10 represents a little bit of glory for Haas. I do too. It, they were really fun for me to watch in qualifying this weekend. They pulled out a, a surprising bit of pace, um, at least, you know, in in Q1. I thought it was fun. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm a fan of both uh, Kevin Magnussen and Nico Hulkenberg. So to, to watch them racing these other guys was very fun. They're their battles with, uh, you know, Logan Sargent and um, some other other people were... Very fun to watch. I always want good things for Gunther Steiner. So <laughs> I, I guess I'm a Haas fan. <laughs> Here we are. Um, only other big thing I wanted to touch on, and you can let me know if you have anything else. Um, I saw a bit of stuff flying around about the 107% rule as it related to 
Logan Sargent and starting starting today. Mm-hmm. So that is a rule that applies to qualifying and basically, or Q1 specifically. And everyone in the field must finish a lap in a time that's within 107% of the time of the fastest Q1 finisher. And obviously with Sargent getting his lap time deleted, unable to finish another lap, um, he did not have a time within that span. Um, The FIA came in and said that I think his FP1 performance was fast enough that they weren't worried about it. This rule was designed to just basically keep dangerously slow cars off the grid, sort of like speed minimums on the highway. But I saw it it seemed to like bend some people out of shape online yesterday that Sargent was getting nah, to start, which nah. I found funny because we've had plenty of occurrences of this rule getting the same treatment, like 2017, the Italian Grand Prix, 2018, Baku, 2021, the French Grand Prix. Oh, wow. No one's been blocked under this rule since 2012. Oh, that's what I was just looking up. Is that the last time it was done? 2012. 2012 in Australia was the last time that anyone got blocked under this rule. So I just found it a little bit interesting. I I don't know if people like were maybe misunderstanding what was happening and thought Logan was just kind of getting a pass. But um, yeah, I saw some people get a little upset about it and just wanted to clarify what that rule was. If my memory serves me correctly, the 107% rule was introduced at the 1996 Australian Grand Prix and was immediately breached as 40 drivers Luca Badoa and Andrea Montemini <laughs> failed to lap within 107% of Jack Villeneuve's pole position time. So this was also at a time, I don't think we had knockout qualifying at that point. So no. I, th- I think mm-hmm. this was like you just had an hour session and, and then so it was much more representative, you know, everyone on on... Not the same tires, but the tire they were the tires they were going to use. It wasn't like oh, everyone would have softs in Q1 or whatever. Um, so yeah, it really was designed in a time when there was much more field spread, and you would have more entrance, I believe, in the olden days. Uh, so yeah, so you could afford to lose a couple off the back. I can't remember how many cars there were in 1996, to be fair. But no, it hasn't been applied because I think everyone kind of knows generally where the performance of the cars are, and the mm-hmm. FIA is satisfied that all those cars can compete in a Grand Prix. So it would be silly to say, oh, because you got a lap time disqualified for track limits on a street circuit, by the way. <laughs> the track limit is the wall, son. <laughs> but yeah, he yeah. So his That was a yeah. that was a funny race or message when they radioed that to him and they were like, yeah, it was at t- turn 27. And he was like, what are you talking about? There's a wall at turn yeah. 27. Did I teleport How through I the wall? No, I didn't. So um yeah, it was a funny one and it would be ridiculous if they started um you know, taking cars off the grid for that. There's only 20 cars as it is. It's much right. more designed for if a car is not capable of of getting yes. into that into that window. The problem is now on social media, though, because you get idiots like me who've got a, a few followers on Twitter. And if I go, oh, 107% rule, suddenly people just start parroting it around and, mm-hmm. and grabbing hold mm-hmm. of it and going, oh, this is silly. He shouldn't have been allowed in um, without yeah. any kind of you know, people will quite happily guess with authority and keep spreading these things these days. But there was never any chance of Logan Sargent falling foul of the 107% rule. That is not for a freak occurrence in Q3. That is for teams that are systematically struggling to be on pace. Mm-hmm. Mm. I've got a thing. I've got a thing. Have we got time yeah. for a thing? Yeah, okay. do it. That was the weakest safety car I have ever <laughs> seen. <laughs> And I, I've, I, yeah, let's, oh. let's talk about that. That was very funny. So look, there's a car off on track and in the olden days, and I'm not saying everything in the olden days was brilliant because it wasn't, there was a lot of terrible things, but you would have dealt with that with a double waved yellow flag, which means slow down, mm-hmm. prepare to stop, no overtaking through this sector. Um, but you know, F1 is more reluctant to do that kind of thing, but there is a virtual safety car that slows yes. cars down to the point where, you know, in the dry, certainly you weren't going to veer off track. That car wasn't really in a super kind of dangerous position anyway, and it was pretty much all the way off into the runoff. Mm-hmm. So the the official line is that the GPS indicated that it was still slightly on track. Yeah, and uh, yes. but I don't know what version of software they use, but I recommend that they try out the Mark One eyeball. It's a very useful <gasps> piece of kit, and you can even look at it secondarily on a camera device, uh, and you could see that that car was was out of the way. So. Like there, there was no real justification for that being a full safety car. I suspect that for the show, and I've suspected this for a long time, is that they're just a little bit trigger happy on the safety car. Hey, safety mm-hmm. first. 
you're not going to find me arguing about that because right. I, I always say death only has to win once. We have to win every mm-hmm. day. So I'm not going to argue with, oh, safety first. And I can't argue and I can't prove that that wasn't the motivation. However, I have noticed since around 2010 onwards, they have become a lot more trigger happy with those safety cars. Mm. And, and if there's pressure on you to make this an exciting race, and your race looks like it's going the way of a, a pretty spread out field with a one-stop strategy and Verstappen isn't really going to have the chance to push for, for the win and everyone's watching the champ coming through the field and you're the race director and you've got four or five seconds to think about it. I think it becomes like race director crack. You know, it becomes very Moorish to kind of go, mm-hmm. oh, that delivered a big hit of adrenaline last time. And that's why I was really against this proposal to have red flags near the end. So say, oh, uh, there's an incident, two laps to go. Instead of having the safety car and finishing on the safety car, throw the red flag out and we'll have a sprint restart like they did at Mm. Baku in 2021. And Perez ended up winning that. Hamilton had the brake magic and went off um, into the the runoff in turn one. And -hmm. I said, if you start making that a standard rule, race directors will just be rubbing their hands every time there's an incident and go, ooh, my bosses will be really happy. There'll be a sprint restart. And we'd have had four or five of them a year. And that's what this was today. It was was a very trigger-happy safety car. And if this was in isolation, I might go, oh, okay, yeah, your GPS, what's it, what's it, what's it? Yeah, 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 I was born yesterday. But just having seen (laughs) the pattern of safety cars, you're familiar with this as an America land person, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. the competition caution I don't think this was a million miles away from a competition course. It was very funny when Sky Sports got the GPS message. And I I think it was Martin Brundle came on and was like, what is his, uh, like the the millimeter of his rear wing, like (laughs) close to the track, like trying to figure out where this this message was coming from. Um, Yeah, I'm with you. I I will give them a little bit of leeway just with it being yeah, safety. Saudi Arabia, yeah. like we discussed, yeah. and that track is always a little bit tricky with people going fast and all of that kind of stuff and some blind corners. But the perfect um, cover. The perfect cover. No. But well, look, we've we've just we've just seen it lots. And and just look, observe yes. safety car decisions over the course of the year. And and you can play I'm the race director on the sofa, a sofa race mm-hmm. director, and play, should I call a safety car here now? Does it apply? And then go, would the race be more exciting with or without and just see if there's a correlation. I'm just saying. Hey, I'm not complaining. It was fun. Mm-hmm. It was a bit more fun. It was fun. very fun. It was a bit more fun with the safety car and they got bunched up and you know, and it, it worked out certainly in, uh, in Verstappen's favour and it closed that gap. It worked out in Hamilton's favour as well. It didn't, didn't do much for the Ferraris but uh, yeah, I mean it was as a, as a fan, you know, you're torn between the integrity of the sport and the racing and mm-hmm. yay, cars bunched up, let's go race cars. all in favor of that we love fun this was a very fun race thank you spanners for joining us thanks as always to erica cervantes for the production help thanks everyone for listening this has been the ringer f1 show we will be back soon 